So today we're going to conclude our series by talking about marital health. Marital health. Every healthy family starts with a healthy marriage. Isn't that right? Every family starts with a, with a, a marriage. That's where the family begins. Um, we uh, are, I, I'm doing some pre-marriage counseling with a couple of different couples right now. I'll be doing some weddings in the next couple of months. And, and I was encouraging a young couple just this week that, hey, y'all are going to be a family. I was talking about how, you know, once they get married, they'll be separating from their, their parents. They're starting a family even before they have children. We read the first Three chapters of the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible where God created everything. You do still believe God created everything, right? Contrary to popular belief today, God is the creator and he created the universe, the earth, every person being uh, and throughout the universe and the earth. It's interesting that in the creation uh, of everything, he said light was good. He said that the creation of land and the sea was good. The creation of, of vegetables and fish and birds and all the animals were also good. But it's awesome how some of you might have heard this before. It wasn't until he got to the man and the woman where he said what? Very good. He said, not only all this was good, but then he said, hey, when I, now I got this man, this woman I created, it is very good. But you know, with everything being good and also very good, there was only one thing that was not good in the garden. If you have your Bibles you, or your tablet or you're following on the app, go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. Genesis 2.18, we can see the one thing that God said in all his creation in the garden at that time that was not good. Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And all the men said, amen. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now look at verse 21 through 24, the origins of marriage here. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She'll be called woman because she's taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Let's go ahead and pray over our time in the word. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is active, living, true, and sharper than any two-edged sword. Help me as I present it. Help us all as we hear it and uh, give us the grace to apply it to our, our lives, whether we're married now or plan on getting married in the future, that we can have healthy, whole marriages and families, that we may glorify you with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In those few verses of Scripture in Genesis we just read, God taught us that for man there is no substitute, no alternative, and no better companion than his wife. Dog is not man's best friend. The wife should be. Amen? Now, some of you guys, I know you got good hunting dogs out there, but I'm telling you, the, the, his wife is the best companion no, because if you remember, and I said that as a joke at both services, but if you think about it, God created all the animals and they all paraded in front of Adam. Remember, and Adam named them, and he's like, man, this still won't do. Think about that. He saw every single animal of creation, and he said, no, this ain't going to do. And the Lord already had the plan. He said, I got a woman for you, Adam. A marriage between one man and one woman is the beginning of the family that God created and ordained since the beginning of time. We need to consistently hold to the truth of the word of God that God has created and ordained one man and one woman to be married as a family unit. Amen? 
We need to continue to hold on to that and believe that and know that inside of you, no matter what society, the media, or people tried to say, this was God's original plan, right? Listen, God established a family in the marriage even before he established the church. Isn't that interesting? I remember years ago, there was a family that came here and Pastor Ty was talking about marriage. And later, uh, I think one of their children said, why is he talking about marriage? That's not too spiritual. But we see here that God puts great emphasis, even before he gave any laws or talked about sacrifices or any of that about the church or spirituality. He, he established a relationship between him and, and, and Adam and then Adam and his wife. This relationship God designed brought blessings of companionship, unity, and delight. And that's the same thing he intends for us today. Now, remember, it says it is not good for man to be alone. Well, even the secular world is finding out that it can be all around better to be married than to be alone. It always blesses me when modern research or science or the medical field confirms what the Bible's always been saying, right? I read an article, recent article just released just this week, and it, it said decades of data collection has shown that marriage can be like a healthy uh, health insurance policy, especially if the union is strong. Now, that's what we're talking about today, marital health. If the marriage is strong and healthy, they found this. Researchers tracked mortality uh, rates over eight-year period and found that people who never married were 58% likelier to die during that time than married folks. Isn't that interesting? According to the report from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, married people are less likely to smoke or drink heavily than people who are single, divorced, or widowed. Of course, these sorts of lifestyle choices are associated with lower rates of cardiovascular disease, cancer, and respiratory disease. That's not all. A 2015 study from the University of Missouri found that marriage helps older adults sleep longer and better than those who drift off by themselves. Isn't that interesting? Now, you might say, you don't know how bad my spouse snores, and I might not. But overall, especially as couples get older, there's something about companionship, right? I mean, Ecclesiastes even says that two are better than one. And it talks about that two can lie down next to each other and keep each other warm. Isn't it nice, us married couples, when you, when in the dead of winter, when it does get cold, like the three days it does in South Louisiana, that you can curl up to your spouse and, and get real cold and get that body heat going, right? But just the, that's just a physical side. Research is showing that overall, people sleep better at night when they're married. Isn't that interesting? And while some of you may sometimes say that your spouse is driving you nuts, the opposite is actually true. Research shows that married couples have lower rates of all types of mental illnesses, and they're also less likely to commit suicide. Isn't that interesting? Physically, psychologically, and even emotionally, even current research is showing it is not good to be alone, right? It's actually better to be married. Now, I, I, I do get it. I didn't say in the first service. Maybe I should have. Paul says there is a calling. Some people are called to stay single, and I believe if that's what the Lord has called you to do, God will bless you and your health in it. But overall, as we look at it, God intended for marriage uh, to, to enhance your life. What's really interesting is that some data shows that the health benefits benefits can favor men more than women because specifically Genesis 2.18 says it is not good for the man to be alone, Right? Listen to this. Long-term, uh, 
Long-term data from an Israeli study indicates that the lifespan of married couples have increased over time, especially in men. It also shows that married men are 25% less likely to have a cancer-related death. And they attribute this to the fact that most wives are the ones that kind of prod their husbands to go to the doctor or to eat healthier. Isn't that right? So wives, turn to your husbands and say, you need me. Okay, I did it too. I, my wife just pointed at me and said, you need me, right? And it's true, guys. That there are, the Bible says, uh, I'm going to create, God said, I'm going to create a helper for him. They help us and prod us and say, hey, you need to go. I remember I had this little bitty lump on, on the side of my, on my, uh, on my side. It didn't hurt or nothing. It was small. First thing Cass says, you need to go get that checked out, you know? And so I did and it was nothing. It was to my, you know, it was called fatty tissue. So that didn't make me feel any better. Made me feel better than something serious, but you know, it just reminded me that I had a few extra pounds on me. So. But my wife is the one that prodded me to do that. So so whether you're single and plan on getting married, just got married, or you've been married, let's say, 20 plus years, or everywhere in between, my wife and I have been married 15 years, I want to give you some biblical principles that will help ensure a strong, healthy marriage. Again, we've been married 15 years. I'm I'm by by any means no expert on the, the subject of marriage, but I believe that truth is truth, right? And just as I've studied and I'm, I'm reading and I'm, I'm, we're applying this to our lives each and every day. So throughout the, this, this uh, month on Wednesdays, Dudley's been talking about relationships in general, but he's been giving a lot of specifics on marriage, specific tools. Uh, so to this morning, it's going to be more general, but just as powerful. So I have, I mean, there's so many different areas you can go on when you have one service to, to talk about marriage. So I just, I'm going to hit on five things, hopefully five quick things that you can remember to begin to apply to your marriage. I'm going to hit the husbands and wives individually, then we'll look at three general things. Number one, husbands must be 100% committed to loving his wife. A husband must be 100% committed to loving his wife. Ephesians 5.25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Like anything else in life, gentlemen, Christ is our example. The way Christ loved his church, he's the groom. He calls us the bride of Christ. That's the way we should love our wives. The way that Christ did it. This is known in the Greek, a lot of y'all know, as agape. It's an agape love. It's an unconditional unselfish love, a giving, sacrificial love. Listen, it's a love of the mind and the will as well as of the heart. It's not only a love of affection and feelings, it's love of will and commitment. It is a love that works for the highest good of the person being loved. So even though I'm talking to the men, trust me, ladies, your, your, your point's shorter. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit right now too. Love in general, that kind of love is way more than a feeling. We have to choose to love. Gentlemen, we have to choose to love our wives every day. Gary Chapman, which he's one of the leading experts on marriage, he says that anywhere between six months and two years of a marriage, you lose what he calls the tingles. You know what the tingles are? That's the feeling of being in love. That's like, I'm in love with you. You could do no wrong. Oh my gosh, you know, you're amazing. And, and we still hopefully feel that way, but those tingles go away. Then you have to choose to love. Matter of fact, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt said something to the extent of uh, true marriages last whenever you stop being in love, then you choose to love after that. That's how a true marriage lasts. And it's so true. That's what the Bible's telling us. An agape love, gentlemen, is a love that, as it says in verse 25 of Ephesians uh, 5, that love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. 
And that's really a good picture. You know, I always tell the, the, the grooms that I'm marrying, uh, and I have four weddings in two months I'll be doing. I'll be telling all of them this, all four of them. For us men in here that are married, we would take a bullet for our wives, right? Men, this is a good time to shake your head at least and say yes, even if you're contemplating it. I'm just trying to help you with some brownie points right now, okay? Yes, yes, we would, absolutely, no doubt, we would. But, you know, that's actually don't mean a one-time thing. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to what? Serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Gentlemen, that's us laying down our lives every day. It's a, it's a, remember, it's a sacrificial giving love. It, it, it's unselfish. It, it's what can we, love is more than I love you, is more than a flowers. Hey, do those things. Those things are great. I tell my wife I love her. And I, I tell, she said, I, I can never get tired of, of you telling me that you love me. She tells me that all the time. So those things are great. But I know she appreciates acts of love too. When I get in there and help her with the kids or the cleaning, that, that shows that I love her more than just telling her, right? So whatever it might be, some kind of, 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 of giving of yourself. Look, I love how the message puts it in Ephesians 5, 28 and 20, uh, 25 through 28. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives. Exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words invoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designated or designed to bring the best out of her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And this is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. Wow, how many of you guys are like me and convicted by that, that translation, right? Go all out for your wives, gentlemen. We need to, exactly as Christ did the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. If we were honest with ourselves, gentlemen, a lot of the times, or at least, at least some of the times, we look at marriage as what we can get out of it, not what we can give to it. And I know it, I'm not just saying this because she's sitting on the front row in here, but I know that my wife is one of the most giving people that I know. When I try to match up with her in my giving, I fall short quite often because she's a very giving wife, a very giving mother. And, and, and I do, I aspire to be more like this. This is what God is commanding me to do. So this is how we should, it's not all about, and it, and it makes it harder. When she's so giving, it's just like, man, she treats me good. I want to just keep getting, you know what I mean? I'm just being honest with y'all, you know? I'm having a little counseling session with all 300 of y'all in here, you know? So, but I'm called to give even more so of my love, a sacrificial love. How about trying to meet her needs, wants, and desires? Husbands? Listen, it says her words, his words, Invoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Are your words to your wife bringing the best out of her? Or are they pulling her down? Ouch. That hurt me right there. Our words should invoke this beauty and bring out the best in her. That's the kind of love. It's, it's, it's actions. It's words. And it, it's, it, listen, gentlemen, it's an intention of the heart. And remember this, and I'm going to get into the women respecting their husbands in a minute, but I'm going to say this right now. I love how the message says it. Basically, let, let me go back to it. How does it say it at the end? They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. So listen, if we look at marriage as being a team and that we're already one, it's no more like, okay, I'm going to do this for you if you do this for me. No, every time you love your wife like this, you're benefiting from it. You're ultimately sowing seeds of love into yourself, gentlemen. Amen? And we need to look at it that way. 
Matthew L. Jacobson said this. This is the call of God on your life. Listen to this. This is powerful. To preach the gospel with the power of your love for your wife. An expression to the world how Jesus Christ loves his bride, the church. If you read through all of Ephesians 5, he says that this is an example of the way Christ and and the church are. And he uses the illustration of marriage. So he says the most powerful way or one of the most powerful ways we can preach the gospel to the lost is the way we love our wives. Because if we love our wives this way, it shows the world how much Jesus loves us. Ever thought about it that way? That's a powerful way to think about it. Gentlemen, just imagine what would happen in most marriages if the husband loved his wife this way. Well, after she passed out and you picked her off of the ground, what would probably happen was she would be willing to give herself to you in the way that the Lord calls her to, which leads to my next point. Number two, a wife must be 100% committed to respecting her husband. Ephesians 5.33 says, so again, I say, I love this. He he reiterates to the men, and I love the order. Again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, I know right away some women be like, but Brandon, you don't know my husband. You don't know how he treats me, and you're right, I don't. And that's why the men are charged first to love their wives, I believe, as Christ loved the church. And then if we're loving our wives this way, gentlemen, guess what? You're not going to have to make her respect you. She's going to want to respect you. That's the biblical order. Again, it's reaping and sowing. So let's look at the full meaning of respect in the Greek New Testament. The wife is to respect, admire, enjoy, defer to, adore, be devoted to, esteem, praise, and deeply love her husband. So we see the full meaning of respect. It's not just, you know, respect is not just talking to your husband without a, you know, a cocky tone. You know what I mean? It's more than that. It goes deeper than that. And this is the kind of respect that the Bible talks about. Now, this obviously is a full-time job, but the original language in the Bible implies that she will personally benefit as she does this. So again, if we're one, right, we're already one in marriage. So wives, just as us as husbands, when we love our, our, our y'all, we're sowing love into ourselves. When you respect your husband, you're ultimately sowing respect into your own life. We got to, you know, look at it as not being two separate entities, but we're truly one. The Bible says in the, in the beginning, Genesis, the two shall become one flesh. And I truly believe, somebody told us this years ago, the longer you're married, the more you become one. I believe you continue to become one. Not only, you know, physically, but also emotionally, mentally, financially, uh, you know, all these different aspects, you continue to become one. I know that's one of the things when me and my wife have, have fought in the past, and she did it uh, one, a couple years ago. I remember we had been kind of going back and forth, and she finally raised the flag and said, hey, hold on. We, we're on the same team here. Like, and just her saying that just brought, like, we're fighting like we're against each other. We're, we're on the same team. You know, if you, if you watch any kind of sports, when there's any kind of conflict in, a, in, in, on a team in sports, whether it's on the football field, baseball field, or the, the basketball court, that team is bound to lose that game or tank for the season. But when they're on the same team, understanding, hey, you know what? If I love you the way Christ loves me, as wives, if you respect your husband the way that the Lord's calling to, listen, we're going to have a powerful, productive, and healthy marriage. Amen? If the wife does not respect her husband, it's devastating both to him and the marriage. Someone said this, the greatest desire of love is to find an answering love. If a wife is able to look at her husband with the eyes of respect, he becomes a king among men. 
I love that. Amen. Amen. Sister, like that one. That's good. I appreciate it. Thank you. You know, it's true. A love is looking for an answering love. And for men, when we love our wives that way, a respect, respect in that way, love, all of that stuff, adoration, that's the way that we find it. And listen, wives, I just want to encourage you. Your goal should be to help your husband become a king among men, not to tear him down. And that's, what is Jesus? Jesus is our what? He's our king, right? He's our king. So as, as the example of the, the groom, you know, and, and we're the bride. So as we love Jesus, we exalt him as our king. Of course, it's different. We don't worship one another or nothing. But as we love our wives the way Christ loved the church, women, when you respect your, your husbands in a biblical way, it makes them a king amongst men. I, I'm telling you, and I, I, didn't, I don't have any of this in my notes, and I'm just saying that I, I said it in first service. My wife wasn't even sitting on the front pew. But whenever I hear my wife complimenting me or talking Talking me up to other people, it's one of the greatest things that I can, compliments I can get. Cause you know why? Cause my wife sees the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's nobody that knows me like Jesus and my wife. And then also my kids, of course. Even my kids, I can go in the room and close the door. Amen. You know, your wife, they ain't no running away. It's like she sees everything, right? So let's combine these two. Combining the need for love and respect in a marriage. One of the ways love and respect in a marriage enhances and strengthens the relationship is because it can minimize and bring resolve to conflicts. Uh, Emerson uh, Egridge, the author of the book Love, author of the book Love and Respect, says this. Uh, he says this on there. On the, I went looking for the book. I wanted to reference the book. If you've never read it, I want to encourage you to do so. But they say this: We believe love best motivates a woman, and respect most powerfully motivates a man. Research reveals that during marital conflict, a husband most often relax, reacts unlovingly when feeling disrespected, and a wife reacts disrespectfully when feeling unloved. Most counselors call that the crazy cycle, right? You ever been like, you disrespected me, I ain't, you're not loving me, and so it's just round and round and round, right? Listen to this. They've asked 7,000 people the question, when you are in conflict with your spouse or significant other, do you feel unloved or disrespected? 83% of men said disrespected, and 72% of women said unloved. You think the Bible's still true today? When the, when the Lord said, husbands love your wife, wives respect your husbands, the, the word is actively living and working in our lives today. So we need to know that, listen, we all have a need for love and respect equally, but the felt need during conflict is different. So applying these principles will help to, to, to minimize conflict, but we know conflicts will arise. So when they do, here's a couple of things to remember, which leads me to my third point. If you're married, don't go to bed angry at each other. This seems simple, but I know a lot of people do this and will show you how detrimental it can be. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. That's the reason right there. It's so powerful. It's not just you're going to go to bed mad and probably have a hard time falling asleep and not get a good night's sleep. But look, look what happens when you go to bed angry at your spouse. The Bible warns us not to harbor anger so that it doesn't cause resentment, resentment and bitterness. You should always try to resolve negative attitudes and feelings towards each other by the end of the day or do not go to bed until you do. Ephesians tells us it gives a foothold to the enemy. In other words, it gives an open door to the devil into your life. Let me ask you a question. 
Today's a beautiful day. Sun's out. It's kind of cool. If you go home and you open up all your windows, maybe open your doors. If you got a screen door, if not, maybe even it's kind of cool. You want to open up the doors for a little bit. Would you go to bed tonight with your windows and your doors opened up in your house and sleep all night? No. And it's like, ain't no way I'd do that. Right? Why not? Because we would allow insects, rodents, um, you know, and, you know, people that can cause harm just wide open to come into your house and, and destroy, steal, or, or whatever, right? We wouldn't do that. That sounds ridiculous, right? Nobody would do that nowadays. But when you go to bed angry with your spouse, the Bible says that's exactly what we do. We open up the door and allow the enemy to come into our life because of bitterness and resentment and holding on, holding on to a grudge. Now, I'm not saying if you're trying to work at it. Listen, you know, you got to try. Conflicts are inevitable, but a conflict only becomes a problem when it's not quickly resolved or at least a plan for resolve can be agreed upon. So listen, you might not be 100% cool, but if it's just like, listen, we need to work on this. We not, you know, look, let's pray about it. I know we're not on the same page, but let's pick this back up tomorrow. I love you. You know, maybe kiss, hug, pray, whatever. And, you know, at least have a plan to try to resolve it. But if you're going to bed and, and refusing to resolve it and just making a point that I'm mad at you. I'm going to bed mad. I'm giving you the cold shoulder. No matter how cold it is in here, you ain't, you know, you stay away from me kind of thing. The Bible says we're giving a foothold to the devil. You know, at, at uh, Jenny's mom's um, uh, celebration of life yesterday, her sister got up and was speaking and was just honoring her mom and her dad. Her mom and dad had been together 50 years and had been married 47. Isn't that right, Jenny? And so as one of her sisters was speaking, she said, Referring to her parents, she said, they never fought. And then she looked at her dad and kind of smiled, and she said, for long. They never fought, dot, 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 for long. And I thought about that. I thought, man, that's great. And I went to talk to her dad. I met her dad after, and I thought, you know, that's one of the keys, I'm sure, to them being married for 47 years, is that, you know, they would get in fights, but it wasn't for long. Sounded like your parents resolved their conflicts quickly, right? And, and Sally, you know, I mean, her, her mom's with the Lord and she, she had a battle with cancer, but you know, her dad honoring his wife, loved his wife until the very end, you know, and so we need to, to learn the same principle that Jenny's parents knew. Let's not keep conflict for long. Amen. And if we can't resolve it, moves us on to number four. We need to seek counsel, outside counsel, if we're unable to resolve a major conflict in our marriage. Proverbs 2018. Listen how it says it in the message. I love this. It says, form your purpose by asking for counsel, then carry it out using all the help you can get. In this case, your purpose for asking for counsel would be because you and your spouse in a conflict that you cannot resolve. And the second part of that verse says, carrying it out using all the help you can get. This means applying what you get from the counselor. So again, we do marriage counseling here at the church, the pastors, and we have some elders that do marriage counseling. So we can give you biblical counsel, but we're not professional counselors. So we know someone that is. His name's Dudley B. Avenue. <laughs> he has a whole, his own counseling service. And you know what? He told us Wednesday night that him and his whole staff has gone through uh, some training uh, that he said is the best marriage counseling uh, techniques he believes on the planet right now. And he said, I'm not trying to strum up business, and I'm not either. I have no benefit, uh, you know, of, of sending you there except to benefit you. So if you can't resolve a conflict, 
get outside help. Seek counsel. The Bible makes it clear. In the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. Sometimes you try to resolve a conflict and you're just stuck. You can't. You need outside help to come in and help you with that. We all do, right? Me and, pa- me and Cassie have sat in Pastor Todd and Tanya's office. I'm not ashamed to say. said, hey, we, we have this issue here. We can't get through it. And it's amazing having our pastor speak into our lives, cleared it up, helped us work through it. But this is the key. When we left Pastor Todd and Tanya's office, we had to apply what we just heard. Remember it says, carry it out using all the help you get. I love this scripture. John 13, 17, Jesus said, now that you know these things, God will bless you for what? Doing them. That's why I pray every time before I preach, you hear me pray, Lord, help us to apply this to our lives. Going to counsel does you no good if you don't take the twos and apply it to your life. All this series, these Wednesday night seminars, we got to take these twos and apply it to our lives so we can get through conflict quickly. Amen. I mean, because how many of y'all just say, man, I love fighting with my wife and my husband. It's awesome. How many of y'all, that's just what I get up for in the morning. Like, I hope I can start this knock, knock out, drag, drag, what is it? Knock down, drag out fight with my, how many of y'all love being in contention with your spouse? Probably nobody, right? So that's why I put this point in here. We need to get resolved conflict and not let the sun go down on our angle. And the fifth and final thing is very practical, but I believe if you do this in our day and age we live in, if we do this today, And every day, it will help our marriages tremendously. Number five, the fifth and final thing is decide to have device-free time together every day. Decide to have device-free time together every day. Look at 1 Timothy 4.15. Give your complete attention to these matters. Now, I understand in in the context, the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy not to neglect his spiritual uh, gifts but I know Paul wrote almost a whole chapter on marriage, and I know that this principle applies. We must give our full attention to our spouses, our full attention. And anytime you have a, a, a phone, an iPad, or a computer, or anything in your hand, watching TV, you're not giving your spouse full attention. No, no, baby, I'm listening, I'm listening. No, you hear them, but you're not listening. Someone said this, pulling out a phone during a conversation is like erecting a brick wall between two people. Check this picture out right here. Look at that. That gives you a good picture right there of what, what a phone does when you're with your spouse. That's what it does. It erects a, a wall in between you. She's on her phone, looks like she's texting somebody, and old boy's over there just like, man, you know, and no, no communication, right? You see that? Would you agree with that? Those of you are that on the guy's side of the phone, isn't that how you feel sometimes? You know, but that's, a, that's such a great illustration. You know, I got this picture from an advertising group, uh, in China that put out an ad campaign that illustrates the way smartphones can negatively affect, uh, family life and relationships. It's a literal representation of the barriers to human relationship that screens create. The executive creative director of this company said that there's a defiant or definite pressure point that society is facing on its path to rapid development. He said, noting that smartphones and social media seem to permeate all aspects of everyday life, from shopping to business to social interactions. This persuasiveness has the potential to especially be detrimental to families and kids. There's an alarming trend. Now, listen, this was some psychologists that had got in on this. That's why they had this campaign. There's an alarming trend of parents ignoring their children of all ages, paying more attention to their phones and tablets than their immediate surroundings. Listen, in this, uh, in this, uh, commercial or this article, there's actually two more pictures. 
One of it is of a dad at the table with his, his son, and there's a phone in between them. And there's a mom with her daughter on the couch with a phone in between them, just like this. I didn't show them today because we're specifically talking about um, marriages. But this is the truth, guy. And listen, in any aspect, any relationship, if you're talking to somebody and you pull out your phone, this is what they see right here. He also noted that the distractions to mobile devices can put a strain on romantic relationships as well, as partners may become less responsive to each other's feelings and have fewer meaningful interactions. I thought that was an interesting statement. Less response to each other's feelings. The more we're responding on our, our, our devices, the less we're responding emotionally and communicating with our spouses. So I truly believe, listen, let's, as, as the Apostle Paul said, let's give our complete attention to our spouse by making a decision to have device free time every day. You know, I know Dudley's a big, a big, uh, 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 proponent of this. He's, he, he, he talks about how the more we're connected and most of y'all know this, like this, she's trying to connect on her smartphone, but she's totally disconnected from her husband. And so we think, well, man, I can look at what, you know, Joe's doing and Susie's doing and look at this and look at that. And I want to text so-and-so. But listen, there's, you have to. And I know this steps on a lot of toes. I didn't hear no amens in the first one either. Our couple. Every single day. And we're working on this too. It's not good enough to just put your phone down and when it buzzes, look over at it. Even though you don't touch it, you're still, your attention's getting drawn. We have to work at, when you get home and you're, you're dedicating time to spend with your spouse every day, go put your phone in another room. Put it in another room, put it on vibrate, and check it one, later if you need, if you absolutely need to. I heard one pastor say when he gets home, he plugs in his phone, puts it in his room, and doesn't look at it for the rest of the night. He has grown kids. He said, if there's an emergency, they know to call my wife. That way there's no more work or church-related stuff going on. Amen? Are y'all with me? So as I wrap it up, this month has all been all about relationships. So I want to close with this scripture. Romans 5.18 says this. Yes, husbands... I'm sorry, I've been so in the grain of husbands. Adam was the first husband, so I wasn't that far off. Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. The most important relationship we can ever have is a right relationship with the God who created us. Amen. Why don't you go ahead and stand up with me? This is the most important relationship we can have. As we close up and we're wrapping up a series on relationships, you can't leave here today without being the most important relationship you have in is with our God in heaven through his son, Jesus Christ. We can't love husbands like we need to love without agape love unless we're receiving it from God. Wives, you can't respect and adore and love your husbands unless you're truly receiving it from the Lord. See, he initiated this relationship with us because he loves us so much. Romans 5, 8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You remember Adam's one act of sin brought sin into the world? Jesus' one act of righteousness brought forgiveness and healing and, and, and salvation, redemption, as we celebrated earlier through communion. While we were still sinners. In other words, we didn't want to have nothing to do with God. He came down, he sent his son, and he died on the cross because he loved us so much. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whoever would believe in him, that means to trust, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Do me a favor and bow your heads and close your eyes with me. If you say, Brandon, I'm not, I don't know if I'm in a right relationship with the Lord. I don't know that if I died today, if today was my last day on the earth, we prayed for three families that recently lost loved ones. 
If you say, man, if that was my service that you had this week, I don't know where I'd be right now. The Bible makes it clear we're going to spend eternity either in heaven or hell. If you're not sure, you say, Brandon, I don't know if I'm in the right relationship with the Lord, but I need to be. I want to make sure my eternity is secure and that I have a right relationship with God. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. Nobody's looking around. We're going to pray together. I want you to just slip your hand up and say, man, I need to get right with God. I need a right relationship with the Lord. Ma'am, I see your hand in the middle. Anybody else? I see your hands in the back over here. I see your hands, sir. More hands going up. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? Now's the time. Say, I want to get right with God right now. Thank you, Lord. Come on. We're going to ask the Lord to forgive us and to cleanse us right now. Let's do that. I see your hand over here, ma'am. Look, we all pray together. The good news is that he said, if we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So let's pray that prayer together. Just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for making a way that I can be in a right relationship with you. Lord Jesus, I ask you that you forgive me of my sins, cleanse me today, and make me new. Now give me the grace and give me the strength to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Come on, let's celebrate with these that made that decision today. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hey, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, there's a card in the pew in front of you that says, I made a decision. Go ahead and fill that card out. Bring it to the info center in the lobby, and we have a gift for you. Listen, for those of us that are married, we have life group signups that are starting. I, I missed it in the first service, but there's a couple marriage groups. We're going to have one called Emotional Healthy uh, Marriage by Jimmy Evans, hosted by the Parfaits. You can take a flyer on your way out and get their information. Also, there's going to be a love and respect uh, that's going to be just for ladies. It's going to be on the ladies' side for respect. So it's going to be with, uh, with Dawn Gotro. You can also pick out info, information for this as a flyer, just like this out there. I want to encourage you to continue to work on your marriage. So this was just for ladies, but she's going to dive into the, to the, the marriage aspect, the, re, the respect aspect of it. You know, Gary Chapman says this, if one person changes in the marriage, the other person don't do anything. If one person changes in the marriage, the marriage will change. So, so, so ladies, amen. So if you want to jump into this, uh, maybe in the spring, if not in the fall, we have another young couple that's going to be doing love and respect as a couple. And if not, you can go pick up the book. I think we have some in the bookstore. If not, you can order them. It'll be a great resource. Help us to continue to have strong and healthy marriages. Amen. Let's ask God to help us. Father, we help. We ask that you help us. Whether, Lord, we're not married and plan to get married, prepare our hearts, minds, and our relationships now. Those of us that are married, Father, help us to be the husbands and the wives that you've called us to be, that we can glorify you and be more effective in our home, in our church, our community, and throughout the world. And we'll be sure to give you all the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.